Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the shows to take your live comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get around all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you tipped into the channel to support us and you sent in these questions, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too long to get them answered. So we gather them up, we address them here, on companion videos and we're not going to waste any time guys we're going to dive right into it let's start getting caught up in these questions shall we and we're going to get started off here with the same guy we left off with which was the black knight who sent in a whole bunch of questions so let's get through the rest of them here black knight writes one of two you said this is the best batman trailer the new one that they just dropped at dc fandom i believe it is yes but when Batman vs. Superman trailer dropped, you were gassed. Absolutely, I was. I love that trailer. Uh, your Bruce Wayne impression was decent when you quoted the trailer. Still now, when I watch it, it fills me with energy. Yep, the movie was not a 10, but that trailer... Uh, wonder if there's any lines you can drop from the new trailer that you loved. Like, even if there is a 1% chance, we have to take it as an absolute certainty. That line in the Batman vs. Superman trailer, like... Uh, like how, what was I forget the exact line, but something like, like he basically has a power to wipe out everybody in the world. And if there's even a 1% chance that that's the case, then we have to take it as an absolute certainty. I love that line. That line is great from this trailer. I mean, I think it's the joke. I'm not joking. I think it's the penguins. I got you. I got you before the big horror moment. Right. But again, this is the first teaser. It's going to be interesting to see, or it's not the first teaser, but it's just the latest trailer. We'll see what more they kind of reveal moving forward. There's not a lot of big memorable lines from Batman in it. I mean, I'm vengeance, but like nothing, you know, profound or I don't care about myself. Not profound, but uh, yeah, but I do believe this was the best Batman trailer we've ever seen, in my opinion. All right, next up. Uh, Black Knight also writes, you said it was to, it was, let me try this again. You said it was B. You probably meant would be. You said it would be too distracting for Kristen Stewart to be in Batman. Do you think this would be the case for them, Robert, oh, guys, proofread, <laughs> um, to be in Batman? Do you think this would be the case for them, Robert, and her to star opposite in any movie moving forward? Did this happen with Hank? Uh, you probably mean Tom Hanks. Uh, and um, uh, Ryan Sleepless, then you got Mail, and they were also in Joe the Versus the Volcano, and they had some others. Okay, so where this is coming from, and what Black Knight is referring to, is uh, a little while ago, somebody wrote in and said, hey, uh, could you see Kristen Stewart uh, popping up? Because it looks like she's going to get an Academy Award nomination this year for Spencer. And people are saying, could you see her maybe popping up in the next Batman film as, I don't know, Poison Ivy or somebody, right? And my response was, I think that would be far too gimmicky for it. I mean, getting the Twilight reunion. Now, with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, it was different, right? They didn't burst on the scene with a global phenomena franchise series of films and then did another huge high-profile tentpole film. Like, <clears throat> I could see Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart doing a rom-com someday, maybe even a, a come a dramedy someday. Yeah, absolutely. But to, to get the Twilight pair and then to drop them in a Batman movie, I think that just comes across as a little bit too gimmicky, and I, I don't see them doing it. I don't see them doing it. But I could see them doing 
other movie projects together in the future. And I think there could be something very novel about that. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. All right. Uh, next up from Black Knight, we've got um, I'm with you on Cavill being Bond. Loved Man from Uncle. Oh, I love Man from Uncle. Uh, you said the fact that he was Kalel would not put the studio off. But if the DCU was flying and he was still in the cape, given the commitment of superhero movies, commitments bulking up, etc., um, if you were in charge at the Bond studio, would you still give the green light for him to be your Bond if he is still heavily committed to the DCEU? Yes. So where this is coming from is somebody asked the other day, because I, I mean, look, I don't care who plays Bond next. I just want it to be a really good actor, but I would love it if it was Henry Cavill. There he is. I would love it if it was Henry Cavill, but it doesn't have to be Henry Cavill. It can be somebody else. But somebody wrote in and said, well, you know, uh, the Broccoli's and the people in charge of Bond would never hire somebody who's already big in another well-known franchise uh, to be their James Bond. So it can't be Henry Cavill. And to which I said, well, you, you don't remember how big Remington Steel was. And there, there was a reason there was this huge clamoring of people saying Piers Brosnan should be the next James Bond. Piers Brosnan should be the next James Bond. So sure they would. They, they wouldn't let the fact that Henry Cavill played Superman deter them from allowing him to be Bond if they wanted him as their Bond. So there's that. But what if he continues on playing Superman? It doesn't matter. Like, uh, there are, uh, there's a reason Dwayne The Rock Johnson can make like four movies a year. Like, you're not on set. An actor is not on set for nine months in a movie. You know, they're generally usually there from eight to 12 weeks. Generally. Is some movies longer? Yes, some movies shorter. But there's plenty of time for Henry Cavill to play Superman and play, do two other movies that year and then do another Superman next year and then do two other movies but so that again, I'm not saying he's going to be Superman. I'm just saying that wouldn't stop him. That that wouldn't stop him from. Let me try that again. I'm not saying he's going to be Bond. I'm just saying him playing Superman. If he does continue to play Superman, that won't be a deterrent for him being Bond at the same time. So I. But again, it can be any actor. It doesn't have to be Henry Cavill. I would just like it if it was. All right, next up. Uh, the Black Knight again writes, when Quicksilver turned up in WandaVision, it was by far the biggest shut the fuck up moment I have ever had in any movie or TV show. Uh, if this was not your number one, what is? I got to be honest with you, Black Knight, I have no idea what you're asking me. I do not know what you mean by shut the fuck up moment. I, I have no idea what you mean by that. So unfortunately, I can't answer that. All right, next up. Uh, Black Knight again writes, with the studios owning characters, how did we end up with two Quicksilvers? Did Marvel say to Fox, you can have him cheap because we might still use? Or did they sell him to Fox and then rent him back off them? No. So what happened was, was they made a deal and there was something that else that was consideration in the deal. And I can't exactly remember what it was. There, there was a give and take involved there, but basically it was this. They kind of made an arrangement specifically with those characters and only those characters. And there was some caveats like in Marvel, you can use Quicksilver and Wanda, but you cannot 
mention their lineage. You cannot hint at anything about their father being Magneto. You cannot use the word mutants. They can't be mutants in your movies and all that kind of stuff. And then Fox, it's like, okay, they can use uh, Wanda and Quicksilver if they want, but they cannot, you know, in the comics, they're in the Avengers and stuff like that. You cannot make any reference to the Avengers. You cannot make any reference to a whole bunch of things. So it was a very unique, specific circumstance and a specific deal that was reached. And there, again, there was one other element involved in that deal. And I can't like one of the studios was also then allowed to use something else. And I can't, you know, what it was, it might've been ego. Was it ego or was it something else? I, I can't remember now, but there was another element involved in that. And it was a very unique, specific, and limited arrangement. All right, next up. Uh, Black Knight writes, uh, one of one. Uh, Civil War is still my favorite MCU movie. Uh, even seeing all the trailers and knowing where we would end up, Cap and Bucky versus Tony. In the IMAX showing at midnight, when the video was revealed to Tony, I could not help shouting, no way. Uh then when Tony said, I don't care, he killed my mom, I really wanted him to win. When I watch it back now, I'm like, seriously, how did I not see this coming? I mean, the movie sets up sets it up all the way. I don't know if I was so engrossed in the movie, I forgot all I knew while watching, or if I just had a dumb moment. No, I mean, I think a lot of people didn't see that. Look, there's a lot of things in movies. Good movies will set up mystery twists to happen where... You won't see it coming even if they did lay it out. There's been a lot of movies that I've seen where it's like a reveal happens and you go, whoa, and then you go, ah, because you remember all the other things that have happened in the movie that have led to that. And like, oh, that all makes sense, right? That's what a good movie can do. So no, Black Knight, that is not a dumb moment on your part, not at all. That just means it's good filmmaking. Uh, All right, next up. Black Knight writes again, I know you was, uh, I know you was against it, but there was a lot of us wanting Eric Stevens to be the new Black Panther. Oh, that would have been such a horrible, terrible, awful, disgusting idea. Anyway, uh, maybe because we love Jordan's performance so much. His performance was fantastic. Uh, I feel like Marvel in What If fully put an end to anyone dream, anyone's dreams uh, by showing this is a bad guy. It's not happening every It's not, guys, please proofread what you write in. It's not happening, comma. Every version of him is batty, LOL. Yeah, I have never, look, I get the love for Michael B. Jordan's portrayal of Killmonger. Totally get it. It was fantastic. He was so good in that. But I'll be straight up with you. I don't think you're idiotic if you think this. But I think the idea itself is idiotic. Like, believe me, there are many, I'm not an idiot, but I hold many idiot sounding things. But look, I always thought that was the dumbest thing. Like, oh, you know, they should bring Eric back to life and he should be the new Black Panther. Eric is evil, okay? He's not misunderstood. He's not all that complicated. He's evil, But John, look at his childhood. Oh, look, I understand there was a tragic set of circumstances that set him on his path to being evil. But, you know, Ann and I watched Black Panther again uh, a few weeks ago because we went to see Black Panther in concert at the Hollywood Bowl. And again, watching it again, this is like my fifth or sixth time watching it. Like, you're really overwhelmed by just how evil he is. Like, he's looking to create mass genocide across the world. 
He wants to kill all of them and kill their children. And like, he's just vile, vile evil. There, there's nothing good or redeeming about him. What makes him really rich as a character is this tragic set of circumstances that were that befell him, that put him on the path to where he was. But that's where he was. And I've never, ever understood anybody wanting that vile, vile like awesome character, but vile, vile, evil character to be the next Black Panther. It, it just... It made no sense to me whatsoever. And you're right. When What If showed, look, even the alternate universe's version of him, he's out for himself and he's out to extract revenge on the rest of the world for his pain and blah, blah, blah. And I like that they did that. I really did. Anyway, that's just me. All right, thanks for writing that in. Next up, Black Knight also writes, uh, think my dad's bias because he loves Star Trek, but he thinks Chris Pine would have been bigger in the 1980s in an era where actors were as big as the franchises they were in. Total package? That's my last question for now. Love the show. Peace. I mean, I don't know. See, I first of all, your dad, you are right. The 1980s and even well into the 1990s, movie stars made the movies. And the stars were as big as the movies themselves, right? I mean, that was that era. We saw that start to change a bit into the 2000s, and it's definitely different today, right? Today, putting the big star in the movie does not guarantee a big hit, like maybe it would have at another time in history, although it never guaranteed it. But you were much more likely to have a big hit if you had a Stallone in it or a Schwarzenegger or whatever, right? Today, it's different. I mean, movie stars are still important. They give credibility to a movie in the eyes of the audience. Like, you get an average audience person, if they watch a trailer and they don't recognize any of the actors in it, they're far less likely to be interested in the film than if there are actors they recognize in it. That will make them more interested. That's just been proven. But it is a different era. Would Chris Pine have been a bigger star in the 80s? I don't know, but Chris Pine... He is total package. He can do great drama. He's got great comedic timing. He's got the super awesome, good Hollywood movie star, good looks. I mean, he's got all of it. Maybe he would have been bigger in the 80s. All right, next up. Uh, Black Knight Returns writes, he said he was done, but he wasn't done. Black Knight Returns writes in, I just remembered a couple. Uh, I just remembered a couple. Loved Lois and Clark. Thought, Thought fell off at the end. Original heart was brilliant. Uh, really loved how Lois fell in love with Clark first and Superman after. Normally, it's the other way around. When we knew Superman was turning up in... Okay, that's a different question. You're right. One of the really cool things about Lois and Clark um, was the idea that she fell in love with Clark Kent first. In a lot of iterations of the Superman story, Lois is in love with Superman and, you know, and is friends with Clark. And then she found in this, she fell in love with Clark. And that was a really neat, unique kind of approach to the story that I think they did a, a really good job on. And I think that worked out really well for them. Okay, next up, we go uh, more from the Black Knight who writes, uh, when we knew Superman was turning up in Supergirl, I was begging it for it to be Tom Welling. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love Smallville, but no. Um, but Tyler in Lois and Clark is brilliant. He did a very good job in that show. Had me thinking, could he carry a movie? The shift of his acting when he says, thanks, my mom made my suit uh, to a kitty vibe. Yeah, I, first of all, I kind of, 
got hooked on the show in that very, very early moment in that first episode when it's like, you liked how thanks, my mom made it. There was something so charming about that that it really kind of hooked me into it. Do I think Tyler could be the movie Superman? Let me let me phrase my answer very carefully. I don't think Tyler Superman could be the a movie Superman. It's not that I don't think Tyler can't be a movie star, not at all. But I don't think this Superman, this Superman is good on TV. I don't think this Superman would be a good big screen Superman. Um, if you know what I mean, I'll just leave it at that. All right. Uh, next up funky Buddha writes, Hey John, real life succession happening up here in Canada with the Rogers family drama thoughts. I have no idea what's going on with the Rogers family. Now, for those of you who don't know, Rogers is everything in Canada. Like, you know how in the boys Voight does everything from the computers, the entertainment industry, like everything, right? It's Voight. In Canada, Rogers is in everything. Like for the longest time, like the United States had Blockbuster. The big video chain in Canada was Rogers Video. Um, up here, you have AT&T. You know what? The main service in Canada, at least when I was still living there, is Rogers. They're the main phone service. Hell, the, the big main sports stadium in Canada, in Toronto, it's the Rogers Center. Um, it's, I mean, they are just, they're royalty up there. I mean, it's Rogers, but I did not, I don't know of any of the drama going on with the Rogers family, but like with the size of the empire of the, the Rogers empire, I wouldn't be surprised that there's going to be inner family squabbling, but I'm going to have to go and look it up now, Funky Buddha. Thanks for putting it on my radar. All right. Anton Riley writes, Hey, John. Have you seen the trailer for the live-action Cowboy Bebop series? As somebody who watched the anime, I love the trailer, but I feel like I'd still love it even if I didn't watch the originals. This felt like Kill Bill meets Star Wars. Yep, and I'm going to... Time for John saying the unpopular thing. I did not like the trailer. Like, I love John Cho. Love him. He's great. I didn't like the trailer. Now, I say that as somebody who has barely seen a few things of, of the original, you know, uh, cartoon of Cowboy Bebop. So I'm not really versed in Cowboy Bebop, like, at all. So I watched this trailer cold. Nothing about this trailer appealed to me. It didn't look funny. It didn't look exciting. Um, the one thing that was interesting was the, I, the, was the setting. It's got a little bit of a Firefly set, right? Like, Firefly, super sci-fi, but set in the Old West kind of way, right? Really interesting. They've got a little bit of that in Cowboy Bebop. That part looked kind of interesting to me. But yeah, I, I didn't think the characters looked charming. I didn't find any of it made me smile. Nothing looked exciting. Um, yeah, again, now that's not to say that the show may not be fantastic. And if I watch the show, the show might end up being bloody brilliant. And so I'll give it a shot. I will definitely give it a shot when it comes out. But as far as just the trailer goes, I got to admit, the trailer didn't work for me, Anton, to be honest. All right, next up. We got Anton Riley uh, also writes, Well, John, you were right. And news broke in the middle of your Tuesday show. Dune is officially getting part two. Uh, didn't need to wait uh, until Discovery bought it out. Uh, bought out Warner Brothers, like you said. But it's happening. Current release date is October of 2023. And we did talk about that on the show a little bit earlier today. And yeah, I've been saying for a while, it's like, look, there's going to be a Dune 2. Whether Warner Brothers greenlights it now or 
if after Zaslav and Discovery come and take over Warner Brothers in early 2022, they'll greenlight it then. Either way, it's going to get greenlit. And uh, I think it was all a work. We talked about it on the John Campus show earlier today. The fact that they already had a full release date ready to go and the fact that it's only two years away, that tells me that they had been planning on this for a while, that the green light for Dune had actually been given a long time ago. And they just used all of this to manipulate the audience, to to get the audience to demand a Dune 2, right? I, I, and I think it was all a work, so it kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth, but I don't care. I'm just happy they're doing a Dune 2. All right, next up, uh, Jack Lumbers writes, do you think a live-action DC Injustice, mostly the comic stuff before the video game, could work as a film or as a film series? I've been asked this question a lot, and I love the comics. I think it's the best written comic series in like 10 years. Seriously, I think the writing in Injustice, particularly Injustice Year One, is some of the best writing I've read in a comic book in a long, long, long time in a series. I love that series. That being said, I do not think it would work as a film or a series because it is absolutely something that is a prerequisite that the audience know and understand a lot of the characters and dynamics already. Like, Injustice is great for DC fans. But if you don't know the nature of the relationship between Batman and Superman, if you don't know the nature of the relationship between, say, Green Arrow and Canary, especially with, you know, the scene... You know what I'm talking about. Um, if you don't know, like, the foundational, all this stuff, it's not a movie an average filmgoer who doesn't have a lot of that prerequisite knowledge can just walk into and appreciate. So on that level, I don't know if it would work. I would watch it. For sure, I would watch it. But I, I just don't know if it would work because it just requires too much prerequisite knowledge to see it. So, yeah, and maybe I'm wrong, though. Maybe I'm wrong. But like I just said, Jack, I would definitely be down to watch it. All right, Sam Fisher writes, uh, you heard that Hulu has greenlit uh, a History of the World Part 2 series from Mel Brooks himself. Yes, I did. I know History of the World Part 1 is often seen as a weaker film when compared to Brooks's others, but I like it, especially the 15th, uh, the 15th Commandment scene. I'm excited. The History of the World is really good. I mean, it may not be Blazing Saddles and you know stuff like that, but it's really good. We talked about this on the show the other day. I am not going to get tremendously worked up or excited about this History of the World Part 2 from Mel Brooks because I've already heard some some whispers that Mel Brooks actually isn't even going to be involved that much in it, and it's really just putting his name on it more than anything else. So I will get more excited about it if we hear that that's not true. Like, if I hear something definitive, it's like, no, 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 Mel Brooks is writing this. I'll get excited. Uh, until then, I'm probably not going to get too terribly worked up just yet, Sam. We'll have to wait and see. Because that's that's the only reason I would be excited would be because of Mel Brooks' involvement. And if we don't know that it's going to be, like, heavy, real involvement, um, then I don't know if there's a lot to be excited about. But we'll see. We'll see. It's certainly interesting news. All right, next up, Dangerous D writes. Hey, John, what's the deal with Curb Your Enthusiasm? As Jerry would say, I saw the latest episode, and in a scene, Larry went to Netflix to pitch a show. Netflix, John, Netflix. Uh, Why didn't they use Max? How can HBO reference Netflix? Bring yada yada filthy. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like lots of shows do that. Lots of shows have their characters reference things that aren't a part of the network that their shows are on. It's not a terribly unusual thing. 
especially for something like Curb Your Enthusiasm, which would do a lot of stuff like that. Um, uh, Jeff the Super Tech uh, tips in like fifty dollars. Thank you, Jeff, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Really appreciate that, dude. Anyway, Jeff writes, "Hey, John, I was concerned the new Dune was going to suck." But Denis Villeneuve delivered a masterpiece visually and auditory that left me wanting more. I wish Warner Brothers would have greenlit Villeneuve, uh, Villeneuve's wish to do parts one and two at the same time. Pandemic concerns? No, absolutely not. Uh, Jeff continues, uh, to, con- to continue with Dune, John, uh, do you think it was financial concerns due to the pandemic and how they were hesitant because of how movie profits were down since it might be two or more years till we see part two because a lot can happen till then and might ruin um, the chemistry of the cast and crew is some or most aren't able to return for part two uh, because if they knock it out with part two, then they can for sure can expand it to other detailed stories of the Dune universe, which is complex and amazing. Well, listen, we already know they're going to do more Dune. I mean, we've got the HBO Max series coming about the sisterhood of the Benny Jesuit, so that's coming. They've got big, big plans for Dune. And as far as what if certain cast members aren't available? That's not a problem. When they signed up to make Dune, they made them sign multi-film deals. Also, it wasn't a pandemic thing because don't forget, this movie was shot before the pandemic ever happened and went into production long before the pandemic ever happened. So that's not really the concern. We talked before about why studios wouldn't necessarily greenlight shooting back-to-back. And... It's understandable. There's a reason only a couple of film franchises have ever done it. Matrix did it. Lord of the Rings did it. Uh, there was another one that did it. I can't remember where they actually shot two at the same time. Might have been one of the Pirates of the Caribbean sets of films. But it's rare. And the reason it's rare is because making one movie is a huge financial risk. Huge financial risk. Making two obviously doubles that. And I'm sure there are a lot of movies. You and I can both name lots of movies that were supposed to be the beginnings of new franchises. And it's a good thing they never shot multiple films back to back because the first one bombed. Right? We can all name several. And so it's very wise not to. But here's the part that makes it confusing for me about Dune. They already had plans in motion for a grander scoped Dune cinematic universe. They've already got the HBO series moving forward. They want this to be a massive IP. This is absolutely one of those situations, and it's not often, but this is one of those rare situations where they absolutely should have greenlit shooting it back-to-back, shooting it at the same time. It would have saved tons of money, it would have been administratively and logistically would have made things much, much smoother. And we would be getting Dune Part 2 next year instead of having to wait two years. And they wouldn't have had to have done all this stupid song and dance about, ooh, we don't know if we're going to green light Dune 2. Obviously, they, now we know they always were going to green light Dune 2. That was never really a question, or at least it hasn't been a question for a while. So I get why 90% of the time they don't want to shoot two movies back-to-back. But this is one of those exceptions where they should have, if for no other reason than the own their own plans that they had. So I think that was a mistake that they didn't do that, man. It really was. Anyway, uh, listen, uh, Jeff, 
thank you so much for for tipping that in, dude. Uh, very generous of you to support our channel on that level. So thank you so much for that, man. And I'm glad you like the movie because I love it myself. All right, next up. Um, Jeff continues. For part two, do you think they should bring hardcore consultants from YouTube like Quinn's Ideas, who is an awesome and detailed with his Dune videos and understands every facet of Dune stories? As long as Villeneuve returns, I think it'll be just fine. All right. So honestly, first of all, full disclosure, I do not know who Quinn's Ideas is. Uh, there are many, many huge, fantastic, wonderful, awesome YouTube channels out there because there's, there's, remember, there's tens of millions of YouTube channels, literally. And I'm sure there are many, many great, fantastic YouTube channels out there that I've never heard of, just as there are many, many YouTubers out there who have never heard of me, right? So it's it's all good. So just full disclosure, I've never heard of Quinn's ideas. Um, no, Hollywood should never consult YouTubers. Unless they're making a movie about YouTube, Hollywood should never consult YouTubers. I don't care how much uh, one person knows about Star Wars. I don't care how much one person knows about Dune or whatever. We come across like we know a lot about Dune, and there are people who know far more. There are people who know far more. So, no, I don't believe, and I say this as a YouTuber myself, Hollywood should never consult YouTubers. We are audience. YouTubers are audience, for the most part. We are audience. And, yeah, there are people on YouTube who know a lot about a lot of stuff, but there are people off YouTube who probably know five, six, seven, eight, ten times more. And being the audience, again, I am reminded by... Um, Oh, it wasn't, it was, I, I used to quote this to Pars, uh, that this was Parcells. It might've been coach Levy, but it was either coach Parcells or coach Levy, I believe who once, you know, when asked by a reporter that the, the fans were wanting this guy to be quarter, to be the starting quarterback instead of their current starting quarterback. And the, this one reporter asked coach said, have you thought about like listening to the fans and maybe putting what in and coach said the greatest comment ever that I totally believe applies to the movie world as well. Coaches who listen to the fans are destined to be sitting with them next week. Coaches who listen to the fans are destined to be sitting with them next week. And I totally believe, I know that's not the popular thing. I know the popular thing is to say, uh, the studio should listen to the fans. No, they shouldn't. No, they should. They should gauge the fans. They should. They should have a have their finger on the pulse, understand where things are going. But listen, a lot of times the fans don't know what the fans want because everybody thinks they speak for the fans. I always get these messages from people saying, "You know, John, the fans want this," and I'm like, "No, they don't. You and your buddies might, but I know a lot of fans who don't want that." So, who are the fans that you speak of? Anyway, now I'm going on a big rant. Bottom line is, no, I don't think a studio should be consulting YouTubers on what they should do with their movies provided we're not talking about a YouTube movie, in which case these YouTubers really are the world's foremost authorities on it. So anyway, that's that's kind of my take on that. And again, I say that as a proud YouTuber. I don't think they should be consulting me. I do not think they should be consulting me. Anyway, there's that. And by the way, I say that as somebody who was hired by a studio to be a consultant on some projects. You don't know a lot, a lot of that stuff, but yeah. As, as somebody who is a YouTuber who has been hired by a studio whose name you would recognize to be a consultant on a few things. 
I can tell you they shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> they should not be hiring us for that stuff. Anyway, uh, next up, we got Marie Seifring who writes, uh, Hey, John and Rob. Obviously, Rob's not here right now. Um, Werner Herzog appeared as the client who wanted to buy Grogu in The Mandalorian. I love Werner Herzog. That's my secret is I kill one living thing every day with my own hands. That's from a poker movie that Werner Herzog was in. Anyway, Hasbro is releasing an action figure based on this character. Do you plan to get this figure and do you already have the Funko Pop of this character? Thanks. I do not, but I would totally get the Funko Pop of that. I mean, I honestly don't collect a lot of Hasbro figures. Like, I have a bunch, but that's because Anne could either get a bunch for free or for cheap because of her Hasbro discount when she used to work at Hasbro. But um, but if I'm going to collect figures, it's either going to be Pops or Hot Toys, and I only have five Hot Toys. So it would probably be Pops. So I do not have the Pop character, but I would totally, if I was walking around and in a store and I saw that they had a Werner Herzog Pop figure, I would definitely buy it. Definitely buy it. All right. Amir writes, one of three. I knew nothing about Dune before watching it, and I was blown away. It's spectacular filmmaking. The visuals, and especially the sound, really do transport you to the world of Dune. And what I wasn't expecting, as a Muslim, was the rich Islamic influences. The idea of Lisan al-Ga'ib, which in Arabic literally means the voice-slash-tongue of the unknown. The concept of the Mahdi, which is Paul Atreides in this part, uh, the the Mahdi, which is deeply rooted in Islamic theology, even the name Beni Gesserit, the word for Beni or Bani means house of or people of, uh, the desert landscapes and the way the Fremen dressed were all very reminiscent of traditional Islamic Middle Eastern life. It all added to the experience and made it all the better. It almost had a personal cultural relevance that if that makes sense, it absolutely makes sense. And yes, people have been talking about that. I mean, for a long, long time. Actually, you know what? When I really first noticed it was in the, it should have been in the original movie, but I didn't notice it there. I should have, but I didn't. It wasn't until the sci-fi miniseries that they did for Dune that I started to recognize a lot of that stuff, and they really accentuated it. And it really is true to the book at the same time. And listen, as an Italian, when I see when I see a movie like, um, uh, what was the name of the damn one that was just out? The the latest Pixar one, The Kid Who Turns Into the Fish. I can't even remember the name of the movie now. Yeah, but anyway, seeing that, the fact that it takes place in this little Italian town, I mean, that, that that creates a connection, right? You feel, even though it has nothing to do with you, you feel a connection there. So that that sort of cultural relevance that you feel on a personal level is always good. I love that feeling, man. So I'm glad you had it, Amir, and thanks for sharing your experience with that. All right, next up. Um, Obi Wayne writes, hey, John. I just saw that Last Night in Soho is coming out in two days. Given that I haven't heard anything about this, I'm beginning to worry about this one living up to that great trailer. I'm a big fan of Anya Taylor. Guys, please don't use the acronyms. But anyway, Anya Taylor-Joy and Edgar Wright. So curious if you've heard anything. I've heard it's great. Yeah, played at a number of festivals. I heard it was given a great response. Actually, let me take a quick peek here. Um, Let me see here. Um... Last night in Soho. Right now, it's got a 92% audience score and a 73% critic score. So it's 
pretty damn positive across the board. I have not seen it yet. I'm seeing it tomorrow. So I'll be doing my quick right out of the theater review of the movie after I see it tomorrow. But uh, it's Edgar Wright, man. It's Edgar Wright. So anything Edgar Wright does, I'll be there with bells on, my dude. All right, next up. Dangerous D writes, Hey, John, have you ever considered doing a master class on how to be a YouTuber? I see you answer fans' questions or advice uh, of starting a podcast and starting a YouTube channel. Since you have a ton of experience, you probably would do a five or six part video on this. Thoughts? Yes. And, and I've been asked that before, and I would do it. The thing is, it would take so much work and so much effort and so much time that I don't have that if I were to do it, and I might, it would be one of those things that I would have to charge for it. You know, my milkshake brings all the girls, all the boys to the yard and they're like, it's better than yours. I could teach you, but I'd have to charge. Um, so there's a little Peter Griffin for you. Anyway. Yeah. That part I've already decided that if I do, I mean, look, I have, I am obviously, I'm not even in the top 10% of YouTubers in the world. I mean, I'm not. I am not the world's foremost expert on YouTube by any stretch of the imagination. That being said, I have taken three different YouTube channels to over 200,000 subscribers each. I did it with AMC. I did it with Collider. I've done it with the John Campion YouTube channel. Um, so I, I know a little something about, you know, um, creating a YouTube channel, making content that appeals to people and, and building a little bit of a following and stuff like that. I'm not the world's foremost expert, but I know a little something about it. And I think I've got a, a track record that proves that. But if I were to put in that type of work and energy to do that sort of thing, it would absolutely have to go on one of those services where you'd have to pay to access it. It's not something I, I just, because I can't afford to spend that type of time and energy and resources to make something like that and just put it out for free. So I don't know. I I'm considering it. I'll think about it. If I do it, I'll do it sometime in 2022. Hmm. But in the meantime, I've got one two hour video and one three and a half hour video up online, just giving some thoughts and tips and ideas and some philosophies that you can just go and watch whenever you want. So there's that, but you know, I'm, I'm still considering it dangerous. All right. Next up, we've got, uh, the Black Knight Returns writes, do you mark when you, sorry, do you mark when the YouTube adverts come on the playbacks? For some videos, yes. It's like clockwork. Let us know your thoughts, then boom, advert. Uh, there was one time you said it out of place and an advert came on. Are you giving them key phrases or marketing it or marking it? Yeah, so here's the thing. I I often learn about things that YouTube does after the fact, like there was this one point a little while ago where I started getting some people writing into me, especially with like companion videos saying, um, I'm like 15 minutes into the video and there've already been six ad breaks in the first like 10 to 15 minutes. I'm like, what? Like why, how, how, why? And like people are getting mad at me saying, I didn't put those there. I, I didn't even know you could put ads in the middle of YouTube visit. I had no idea. And that's when I found out that YouTube was starting to, you know, put mid-roll ads throughout and they were just kind of dropping them whenever. And I remember I was horrified when I opened like one video and saw that they had dropped one ad in the middle of like a 90 minute video. 
But I was like, that was not bad. But then I was horrified when I opened up another video that was like a companion video that was like an hour long. And it literally had over 20 ad breaks in it. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh my, no wonder people are getting pissed off. Like, like every two minutes it was stopping for an ad break. So that's when I started learning not too long, long ago, like I, just within the last number of months, I learned about all that. And I learned that I can actually manually go in, delete those ad breaks or move them to specific points. So yeah, ever since then, I've started going in, deleting a number of the ad breaks that YouTube puts in and then taking some of them that are already there and moving them so they have a nice natural break so that I get to the end of a topic and go, you know, whatever you guys think, jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Bam. And then I move the ad break there so it doesn't come when I'm in the middle of a thought. And you know, the other thing that I really like, are you tired of the shoes you're wearing? Like, I just want to make sure it was done better. So yes, I have been reducing the number of ads that are in the shows and the ones that I do leave in, I've been trying to move them to points in the video where it's at the natural end of a topic. You know, jump in the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. That's just a good place to put an ad break before the next topic starts. So I've been trying to do that. And again, I only learned about it in the last few months. So if you guys have any thoughts or suggestions, please write into the comments section below any thoughts or suggestions you have. All right. Next up, we got Dangerous D who writes, um, Hey, John, according to CNBC, some top Warner Brothers execs never liked the name HBO Max as their company streaming service. AT&T CEO John Stanky and ex-Warner Brothers CEO Bob, uh, Bob Greenblatt named the premium service HBO Max. Discovery might change the name once they take over. What would be a better name? Well, yeah, we talked about this. This was one of our big topics, I think, on the show Maybe on Tuesday show, that was one of our main topics. Tuesdays or Monday show? No, you know what? Monday. It was Monday show that we talked about this. So, yeah, listen. HBO Max was a terrible name for them to launch with. Terrible name for them to launch with. Because at the time that they were launching HBO Max, there was HBO, there was HBO Go, there was HBO Now, and now there was HBO Max, and it created a lot of consumer confusion. Like, even on our show, there was a lot of people, like, almost every day writing in. So I don't get it. Like, if I have HBO now, do I still have to get HBO Max? And, of course, there was some confusion. There was a stupid name to launch with. Stupid name to launch with. That said, at this point, the damage was done, Right? All that launch confusion and all the consumer confusion and all that kind of stuff, damage done. So do you change the name of it now? And honestly, while I still think it was a terrible idea for a name to start with, at this point now it's what everybody knows it as. Everybody knows it as HBO Max. Like I freaking hate the name Peacock. But now everybody knows it is Peacock. And while I still think it was a stupid name to have and it was a stupid thing for them to launch with, now it's what everybody knows it as, so you just got to leave it as it is. And HBO Max is now just what everybody recognizes it as. So, yeah, Discovery may change it. 
especially if they decide, if Discovery decides to take Discovery Plus and fold it into HBO Max, they may want to change the name of the service to like Discovery Max or whatever. But other than that, honestly, I think they're just going to keep the name and it's probably for the best at this point, but you know, we'll see moving forward. All right, next up. Dangerous D also writes, uh, hi, John. HBO Max is uh, expanding slowly worldwide and is available in six European territories and offering half price for a limited time. Now that they're expanding, should Warner Brothers permanently slash their prices to compete better with Netflix and Disney Plus? What do you think? Nope. Nope. You don't listen. HBO Max is a premium service and they create premium content. And guess what? Disney, their prices are just going up. Like they've already gone up. They've already done two price hikes already, and they're going to do more in the future. That whole $7, yeah, that was, we all knew, that was only temporary. Their prices are just going to go up and up and up and up. And pretty soon they will be as expensive as HBO or maybe even more. HBO Max for the content you get, considering you get all the library HBO content plus all the HBO Max content, 15, 50 cents a day, are you kidding me? That's less than one trip to Chili's. Like a month subscription of HBO Max, incredible library of content. The highest quality content. It ain't like Netflix where, yeah, there's a million things, but 800,000 of those million things are total rubbish and junk. HBO is curated and just fantastic content. For 15 bucks a month, that is a very good value. Yeah, but Disney Plus, it doesn't matter. Disney Plus is just going up. It's going to be there soon enough. So, no, I do not believe they should, nor do I believe they will slash their prices. They did just offer a lower price tier temporarily because they wanted to woo back subscribers that they lost through the drop from Amazon Prime Video. And but that even comes with a caveat. And I and uh, it doesn't get it had some kind of limitation attached to it. But um, it's, it's going to be 15 bucks. It's going to stay 15 bucks and no, they should not slash it. They shouldn't slash it all. They've got a great product and it's already an incredible value that they offer it for, in my opinion. All right. Alfred gives birth to Robin rights. After seeing Dune in IMAX, I came home and attempted to watch it again on my TV. I couldn't make it past 30 seconds. I looked at my 65 inch OLED screen and said, you are small and puny dude. Don't I know this? I kind of had the same thing because I've got a 75 inch TV on my wall with a nice surround sound system, the whole bit. Anne loved Dune. So the very next day on her lunch, when she was taking a break from work and she was on her lunch, first thing she did, she fired up HBO Max and put on Dune. And I sat down and watched it with her for a minute. It's like, it's so less than being on a TV as opposed to the way a movie like this needs to be experienced on the big screen. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was fine. It's fine watching again on TV, but it... It's nowhere near the same experience, which is why Anne and I are going to be going back to the theaters to go see Dune again in theaters because we watched it again at home and it's just not as good of an experience. So I get you, man. I totally get you. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Zevia will sponsor you, writes, okay, John, you win. Zevia will sponsor you. Just one request. 
Please explain why you are so harsh on some DC animated movies. What makes them so bad to you? Are you looking for comic book accuracy, well-developed characters, a good story? Tell us, man. All right, here it is. Here's the big secret. They're total shit garbage. They are total shit garbage. And it ain't just DC. Marvel's animated stuff is total shit garbage, too. Um, it's horrendous, childlike, fifth-grade-level writing, pathetic animations, like the cheapest, as inexpensive-as-they-can-do animation styles. It's rubbish. It's complete garbage. Now, it's all subjective. That is me telling you my opinion. That doesn't mean it has to be your opinion. And if you have a different opinion, that doesn't mean your opinion's wrong and mine's right. Not at all. But you are asking me my opinion. It's this. I get everybody wants to love this stuff because they love their Marvel characters and they love their DC characters. But I'm sorry, the vast majority of the animated direct-to-home video tripe that both of these great companies put out is absolute dog shit that feels like it was written by a fifth grader and animated even worse. So you wanted my, you want my honest opinion. Now there are a couple of exceptions. There's a couple of exceptions. You know, some people say, John, what about mask of the phantasm? Well, that wasn't made for direct to home video. That was a theatrically released movie that they, they can do that and do that. Well, but even their direct to home video stuff, there are a few, I think exceptions to that total dog shit rule. Um, Under the Red Hood, I think, is quite good. Um, the Doctor Strange animated movie, I thought, was quite good. Um, and there there are a couple, but for the most part, I think all of Marvel and DC's home video stuff is total, absolute, bottom-of-the-barrel shite. That's just my opinion. <laughs> you know, you don't have to agree, and it's totally cool if you don't. And it, I'm not saying I'm right and you're wrong, not at all. But you asked me my opinion. I just gave you my opinion. So there it is. All right, next up. Uh, Alfred gives birth to Robin Wrights. I introduced my girlfriend's son to Star Wars. Nice. He's using Dungeons and Dragons to figure out Star Wars characters' alignments. He thinks of Luke as chaotic good. I wouldn't say that. I Well, no, I would say Luke is neutral good. Because if Luke was chaotic good, then the moment Obi-Wan said to him, um, you know, you must learn the ways of the Force. If you'll come to Alderaan, you know, if you're to come with me to Alderaan, what does Luke say? A chaotic good character would say, right on, let's go right now. Boom, let's go. That's what chaotic good would have said. But Luke, we had Luke's response was, I can't. I got responsibilities here. I've got the heart. I got to get home. My uncle. I, so, I wouldn't necessarily say he was lawful good, but I definitely wouldn't say he was chaotic good. I, I would go neutral good. I would say Luke was neutral good. Anyway, uh, I was going to think you were good. You are the D&D expert. I know nothing about D&D. What the hell is he talking about? Okay, so think of it as, as nine quadrants, all right? There's lawful, neutral, or chaotic. Uh, good, neutral, evil. Okay, the first word is per pertaining to how much of a rule follow, how much of a, of a traditions and rule follower are you? If you stick to the to the rules, you do things the way they're supposed to be done. You follow traditions. You do whatever. You are lawful. 
if you totally don't and you disregard all that kind of stuff, you're chaotic. And if you're somewhere in between, you're neutral. So there's that. Then the next level down, and I'm sure a, a, a harder core D&D person would be able to explain this better than I am right now. Then you get to, well, whether you're a good or bad person. Because you can be a total to hell with the rules, but be totally good. You know, so you can have a chaotic good person. You can have a lawful evil person. You could have neutral, like true neutral, right? So I just explained it terribly, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea, Alfred. All right. Next up, we got Casey McNatt who writes, one of three. Well, John, I saw two movies yesterday. The first was Ron gone, Ron's Gone Wrong, which actually I thought was pretty good and reminded me of the Mitchells versus the Machines in type of feels. The second one, though, oh boy, I finally saw Dune and IMAX, and all I've got to say... Uh, well, first, let me just say the movie got delayed because the projector broke. Oh, that sucks. But they started the movie without any previews, so there's that. Anyway, as for Dune, it was fantastic. I'm really excited to see that Dune got greenlit for part two because I need more of this story. The visuals uh, were great. The score was awesome, and I just enjoyed the movie from beginning to end. That's awesome, and I'm so glad you had a good time. I loved Dune. I'm going to watch it again. Um, in the, on the big screen again, I've already seen it twice, but once was on the crappy home TV. Uh, I got to see it again on the big screen. Really enjoy this movie. I think it's going to get a best picture nomination. At least I think it totally deserves to. And like I said earlier, I think it was perfection as far as a iteration or a, um, adaptation of Dune to the screen. I don't think you can do an adaptation of Dune from the book to the screen, better than what Denis Villeneuve just did. It was absolute perfection in that way. And uh, I'm glad you liked it, man. I'm glad you liked it. All right. Uh, next up, Casey McNatt also writes, my last point for this time, I think we finally get the reference when Sam said uh, Steve went to the moon. He was obviously meaning that he went to the moon as Buzz Lightyear. LOL, just kidding. But I felt that trailer was great, and I'm surprised we got a teaser this early. Yeah, listen, when they dropped, for those of you who don't know, they dropped the Lightyear trailer early earlier today, which is the Buzz Lightyear solo movie, right? That doesn't take place in the real world with the toy Buzz Lightyear. It's the sci-fi story of Buzz Lightyear that then influenced the toy of Buzz Lightyear. So it imagines him as this real, you know, part of the, you know, the, the Star League or whatever they call it with Buzz Lightyear. I can't remember. Um, Space Command? Is that what they call it? Star Command. That's what it is. Star Command, right? Yes, yeah, Star Command. He's a part of Star Command and all that kind of stuff. They dropped the first trailer for it today. Tim Allen is not doing the voice of Buzz Lightyear. Now it's Chris Evans. Um, and I was... Number one, surprised they dropped it already, but I was delighted by it. I really thought it was good, so I can't wait to see what they do next with it, uh, Casey. All right, next up, we got an anonymous viewer who writes in. Uh, hey, John and company, I just saw that Dune Part 2 was announced. Yeah, we talked about that on the John Campus show earlier today. Do you think they made the announcement now to drive more box office? It made enough money um, or contractually to secure the director and or actors. I, like As I explained earlier, Anonymous, I think it was all BS. I think they've known for a long time that this thing was already greenlit. I think they pulled a big manipulation work on the audience to create this artificial demand from the audience. Give us Dune 2! And that would kind of be publicity for them and all that kind of stuff. And 
That's honestly, that's like, I have no insider information on that, by the way. Let me be clear about that. I have not had studio sources tell me that that's what, not at all. This is just me as a fan making my own observation, pulling it right out of my ass. So you take that for what it's worth. But yeah, I, I am completely convinced, completely convinced that this was all a, manip- a manipulative work and this was actually already decided a long time ago. At least that's my take on it, my dude. That's my, I could be, and I could be a thousand percent wrong about that. All right, next up, Jonathan writes, regarding John Kent being bi, I'm with you. I don't care. At the end of the day, to me, Superman is Clark Kent is Superman. He's my Superman. If you think Jonathan Kent is your Superman, good for you. But to me, Clark Kent is and always will be the Superman. Yeah, so of course there's the big controversy the other day because Clark Kent's son, Jonathan Kent, who has been donning the Superman moniker lately, not Clark, but Jonathan has been donning the Superman moniker lately. Uh, They revealed that Clark's son, Jonathan, is actually bisexual in the comics, which, who cares? I don't care. That's that's fine. Uh, But it caused a big hubbub with people who have political agendas and stuff like that. But to me, it really didn't matter. Seriously, I don't think it's great that he's bisexual. I wouldn't think it's great if he came out as heterosexual. I just don't care, you know, about, uh, about that stuff. So I was perfectly fine with it. Perfectly fine with it. All right, next up. JP writes, Hey, John. JP from Montreal here. I love Montreal. Absolutely love your show. Thank you so much, JP. Uh, Merci. Uh, I can hardly wait any longer for Spider-Man No Way Home to see Tobey Maguire on the screen again. Uh, You might be in for a real big disappointment. Uh, Do you think his appearance will have people cheering like in Endgame? I hope so. Have a great day. JP, there's something you really got to understand here, man. There is nothing that says Tobey Maguire is going to be in this movie. Like, you just, you got to understand that. Now, I believe he will be. I believe that both he and Andrew Garfield will be in this movie. But there's no proof of that. Nobody in the studio has ever said Tobey Maguire is going to be in this movie. If anything, all Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield have done is deny that they're in it. Um... So you just got to, so if the only reason you're looking forward to Spider-Man No Way Home is to see Tobey Maguire, listen, this is why I've been saying for, for a while now, it is good to speculate. It's fun to speculate. That's what we as fans do, but do not let your speculation become expectation because expectations are the killers of joy. Because if you now are expecting Andrew or um, uh, Tobey Maguire to be in this movie and he's not, well, then even if Spider-Man No Way Home is fantastic and fun, you just killed your enjoyment of that movie because you allowed your speculation to become expectation. Now, again, I believe they will be in it, but I'm not going into this movie with any expectations. Like, I don't care if Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire show up in this movie. I just want a good movie. You give me a good, fun, entertaining movie, John Watts, like you did with Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home, I'm good. I'm happy. I'll walk out of that theater with a big smile on my face. And if Andrew and Tobey pop up, awesome. And if they don't, whatever. I'm not going in with any expectations. Don't let your speculation become expectation. Because it sounds, JP, like you're setting yourself up for disappointment. I can't wait to watch it because I want to see Toby in the movie. Well, 
How about look forward to watching it because the other two movies have been really good and hopefully this will be a really good movie too. And again, I'm saying this as somebody who believes they'll be in it, but don't expect it. That That's all I'm saying, man, because you're just setting yourself up for disappointment if you are. So we'll see. We'll see. We're getting close though, JP. We're getting close. And enjoy Montreal, man. I wish I was there right now. All right, next up. Anton Riley writes, Hey, John, going to take a wild guess and say you've seen the Lightyear, tra- uh, Lightyear teaser. Yeah, we talked about it on the show this morning. I was delighted. Love the trailer, even though I'm tired of hearing Starman. That was the perfect song for that trailer, by the way. Great song, just overplayed. Gonna go, going to see this movie uh, day one. Absolutely, me too. I thought it was great. Hype me up for it a lot, Anton. All right, My Comic Planet writes, one of two. I see Eternals uh, score on Rotten Tomatoes has fallen to 67%. I read that Marvel slash Disney scheduled more early critic screenings than normal. That's not true. Uh, I guess to try and promote the movie, but in hindsight, I wonder if that was a good idea. Do you think having critics screen so early for the movie and showing mixed reviews versus having them to wait closer to the release will hurt the overall box office earnings? Not really, because it's a Marvel film. And the reality is, uh, 67%. And by the way, I think it's gone down one or 2% since then, but like mid to high sixties is still a good score. That means the majority, a good majority of the critics like the film at 67%. That means only 33% of the critics don't like it. 67% like it. 33% don't. That's still positive. It's still positive. And I'm not terribly surprised. Like We're going to talk about this on the John Campy Show tomorrow. We're going to talk about the dropping critic score of Eternals on uh, tomorrow. But it's important to keep in mind, it is still a strong score, but not for an MCU movie. What's causing that? What does it mean? Whatever. But number one, there were not more critic screenings than normal. Like, for instance, Shang-Chi. I'd seen Shang-Chi three or four times. Four times? Or five times. Four times or five times. Anyway, I saw, let's go with four. I saw Shang-Chi like four times before the movie ever opened. <laughs> right? And those are all like critic events and stuff like that. That's kind of common with a lot of MCU movies. I And yet I've only seen Eternals twice. So no, they haven't been screening for critics more than normal. It's been kind of the average thing about that. But I don't honestly think it's going to impact the box office that much. Because remember, I I never thought this was going to be a billion-dollar film anyway, right? These are all brand-new characters that nobody's ever heard of. It's a totally different thing. So I already think the box office for Eternals was going to be a little bit challenging anyway, but I don't think having good critic scores as opposed to fantastic critic scores is necessarily going to hurt the box office for this. Because I think the box office was already going to face some challenges, to be honest, but there's that. All right, next up. Uh, Anton Riley writes, Hey John, did you know that YouTube has a collection of movies you can legally watch for free? Oh yeah, they have they have a ton of them actually, all over the place. Uh, with ads, of course. Uh, was watching That Thing You Do with Tom Hanks, which is great. Also watched Once Bit in 1985 with Jim Carrey and thought it was terrible. Uh, indeed, indeed it is. But yes, YouTube has a, a, a lot of movies on there that you can watch ad supported. And of course, tons and tons and tons of movies that you can just buy and have as a part of your library on there too. But there's a lot of free stuff and a lot of free content on there that is ad supported. So thanks for pointing that out on Anton. I think probably there's a lot of people who didn't realize that. All right, next up, we've got Tyler Brooks who writes, 
John. As an early 90s baby, I grew up with the Tony, uh, sorry, with the Toy Story franchise. Pixar just dropped a Lightyear trailer, which we've already talked about, uh, for a character that I have always been begging to see in a solo film, Buzz Lightyear, and I am stoked. What are your thoughts on the trailer? Again, we were, we've been talking about this a little bit. I thoroughly enjoyed the trailer. I really did. And part of it was because it caught me by surprise because I didn't realize they're going to be dropping one right around now. But it just had a great feel to it. And I said on the show today, take away the fact that it's Buzz Lightyear. Take away the fact that it's a Toy Story spinoff. If this was just a random, like, Pixar animated film about a space adventurer and it was just the same trailer, it just wasn't Buzz Lightyear, I still would have thought this was a great trailer. And that says a lot about it. So, yeah, man, I absolutely adored it. All right, next up, we go to Armchair Fandom, who writes... Hey, John, have you watched the last blockbuster on Netflix? We talked about that a while ago. Uh, how much are younger people missing out on for movie night without that trip to the video store to stroll around and figure out which one, two, four, or eight movies you would grab for the weekend? Man, you know what? We, I was talking about this a little while ago. While obviously we all love the convenience of just being able to sit at home and click, there was something magical. Like when me and my buddies or when me and a date we're planning movie night. There was something cool about going to Rogers video or in the U.S.'s case blockbuster and going there and perusing the aisles, discovering movies that you'd never thought you heard of, or you'd never seen before. And we're waiting for that release to come out that you've been waiting. And then you walk into blockbuster or Rogers video the one day and ah, the movie you've been waiting for to come out. It was uh, the entire one new release wall would be filled with it. But then again, again, strolling the aisles, picking out movies, things like that. There was just something great about that process. And then you're right, getting like four for the price of two, whatever, you know, me and somebody, we'd grab like four DVDs, take them back to the house for the week, watch those movies. I mean, obviously the convenience and the delivery of it today is far superior, obviously. But I will always miss those days, man. I will always miss those days. I really will. All right. Uh, next up, uh, we've got BK Dan who writes, John, have you seen the Lightyear trailer? Yes, I have. I, it looks like slash reminds me of Toy Story meets Star Wars. Chris Evans does the voice of Buzz. So Captain America makes it into space too, albeit after Captain Kirk. Uh, seriously, release date in June 17th, 2022, theaters, then Disney+. Plus. Yeah, which is, again... Very surprising to me why the trailer came out now. I mean, it's way too early, for quite frankly, to drop that trailer. So, I, I mean, it's it's going to waste all the, no pun intended, it's going to waste all the buzz. It's going to waste all the buzz. So, but hey, I'm not going to lie. It's part of the reason why it surprised me that it came out, but I was absolutely delighted for it. Now we still got to wait eight months for it, but whatever. Uh, I did like the trailer a lot. All right, next up. Uh, Orange Grove 55 writes, Hey, John, if you were to meet Bob Chapek and could advise him on one thing to set him on a course for success, what would you advise? Thank you and bring on the filthy. Well, let's make no mistake about it. Uh, despite the fact that I don't think Bob Chapek is doing a very good job running Disney, he is a 10 times smarter person than me. So it is not my place to advise him. But if the universe kind of aligned in a certain way and Bob Chapek happened to stumble across me and happened to ask me for my advice for whatever reason in the world, I would tell him kind of something. I tweeted something about this. Actually, let me see if I can bring up my tweet. I tweeted something about this earlier. 
Um, let me see if I can bring it up. Okay. Yes. So I put this up like just a little while before starting doing the companion video, to be honest with you. So I, I wrote this. I wrote, the problem I see with uh, Bob Chapek's Disney as opposed to Bob Iger's Disney is this. Under Iger, creative and creative-friendly people were put in charge with intelligent business people to advise them. Under Chapek, business people are in charge with creatives being told what to do. So I just put that up a little bit earlier this evening, uh, as a matter of fact. So if for whatever reason, unknown reason, if Bob Chapek had temporary insanity and actually asked me for my advice, which he should never do, I would simply tell him this. Stop putting business people in charge. Put creative people in charge and surround them with business savage and intelligent people. Don't let the final decisions be made by the business people. Have the business people do the advising, but put creativity first. Put that first. It really worked for Iger. And I think it will work for you. That would personally be my advice to him. Because one of the first things Bob Chapek did was he got rid of all of Bob Iger's creatives and put business people in charge of them. And that's not smart. It's, it's not good. And we're not going to feel the effects of that this year or next year. But once we get into 2023 and 2024 and 2025, that's when you're really going to start to feel the effects of that as the audience members. But that would be the advice I would give that he should never, ever ask me for because he's 10 times smarter than me. All right, next up. Sam Fisher writes, I remember when they first announced Lightyear that the reasoning behind it was that Buzz Lightyear toy was supposedly merchandise from a movie. Lightyear is supposed to be that movie. I thought that was the whole point of the 1990s animated show. I don't even remember the 1990s animated show. But uh, the, whatever the concept is for Lightyear, the trailer sold me on it, Sam. It totally sold me on it, so I am all on board with it. All right, next up, Rhett Proctor writes, Hey, John. So I decided to finally watch Daredevil on Netflix. Oh, dude, you waited this long? Anyway, and oh man, I love it. I'm on season two and it's been the best show ever. Uh, John Bernthal's Punisher is perfect. I wish Marvel would bring these shows back. Charlie Cox is so great. Uh, a Matt Murdock as Matt Murdock slash uh, Daredevil. Yeah, he's great, but another actor might be better. I mean, that's the thing. And by the way, yes, Bernthal is great in it, but now go watch Punisher seasons one and two. Because as great as Bernthal is as Punisher in the Daredevil series, he's even better in his own season one and season two. I love season one and season two of Daredevil, uh, or of uh, Punisher. And I loved all the seasons of Daredevil. That said, we as audiences often lie to ourselves or, or tell ourselves this fairy tale that if we see an actor great in a role, that only that actor can be great in that role, which is obviously not true. Uh if if Marvel does bring back Daredevil or, or introduce their own version of Daredevil, they'll get an actor and I'm sure they'll get a great actor for it who might be even better than Charlie Cox was. But again, it, like we are so biased by what we have seen. Like, so we saw Charlie Cox's Daredevil and now we can't imagine anybody else doing it, but obviously somebody else could and maybe even be better, maybe be just as good, maybe not be quite as good, Maybe be 10 times better. I mean, we won't know. But I'm sure they'll do a good job with that either way. And by the way, rumors continue to persist. I don't personally buy them, but it is possible. Rumors continue to persist that maybe Charlie Cox, Charlie Cox pops up in the MCU here pretty soon. 
There's no evidence of that whatsoever in the world, but the rumors are out there. I don't believe it's going to happen, but it is possible. So you never know, man. You might get your wish. Probably not, but you might. All right, next up. Tanu writes, some men are dads. Others are daddies. I don't know what that means. Oscar Isaac and Leto Leto are tradies. Uh, That's his character in Dune. Is a man that is both. Now, that's a man that can bring the filthy, all the filthy. And as a straight man, I have no problem saying that. Uh, Moon Knight and Metal Gear Solid can't wait. Like, Oscar Isaac's career right now is exploding, especially in the genre stuff. Like, from being in Star Wars, now he's in Dune. Now he's going to be in the MCU's Moon Knight. Then he's going to be Metal Gear. I mean, he's just... It is crazy how much he's exploding, and he always delivers. He's a he's a fantastic actor, always delivers, and it couldn't be happening to a more talented dude. Thanks for writing that in, Tanu. All right, Anakin Skywalker writes, I didn't like the movie Dune. It had too much sand. It's coarse, and it's rough, and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Uh, LMAO. For real, though, Dune might be my second favorite sci-fi movie behind Interstellar, and I absolutely cannot wait for part two. Listen, man, I, I'm, I'll tell you, look. I get it. Dune is not a movie, nor is it a book or a story that is for everybody. It's not. It's not. And so I get it. Not everybody loves it. Cool. But I think it is a fantastic movie. It's it's fantastic. Do I think it's going to win Best Picture of the Year? No, probably not. Probably not. But... I do think it's absolutely wonderful. And like I said before, I think it's just a per- perfect adaptation. So I'm glad you liked it, Anakin, despite the fact the sand is coarse and rough and it gets everywhere. All right, James Argenta writes, how do you rank your anticipation for these three sci-fi films? Guardians 3 in 2022, or 2023, Dune 2 coming in October of 2023, or Star Wars Rogue Squadron in December of 2023? I Listen, it should be Dune 2, but it's Star Wars Rogue Squadron. I love, ever since they announced Star Wars Rogue Squadron, the idea of an Air Force, a fighter pilot movie that's in the Star Wars universe, sign me up. Sign me up. I've been so stoked for that. So I'm not saying it's going to be better than Dune 2, but you're asking me what's my anticipation. It would probably, and I'm looking forward to all three of these. Obviously, I'm looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Come on. But, These are all big wins, but I'm going to rank it as number one out of these three, Rogue Squadron, then Dune 2, then Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And I can't wait for all of them. All right, Kylo Ken writes, John, like you, I believe the Dune 2 revelation is a work. Yeah, unfortunately, that's what what I believe. Uh, They want to increase box office for Dune for anyone that's hesitant to go see it because because of its open ending. People are more willing to go see it if they know there will be a resolution to the film. But see, that's the stupid thing, Kylo. Then why on earth? Because you're right, you're right. But here's the stupid thing about that. Why didn't they just let people know before the movie came out that, oh yeah, and part two is coming, so they wouldn't feel the weight of that, you know, like kind of abrupt ending, right? Again, I think it was all the work, you do too, that they tried to to get the fan base to bring up this big, we demand, you know what they wanted to try to do? They wanted to try to artificially recreate the, uh, release the Snyder Cut thing. They wanted to try to capture that lightning in a bottle again and get the make Dune 2 movement, right? But by trying to artificially create it, it didn't really get the results that they wanted. And they finally had to come out and say, okay, 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 yeah, yeah, it's coming. But I believe they, they have, I'm not going to say they've always known, 
But I think the decision to make Dune 2 was made a while ago. At the very shortest, three weeks ago. But as long as six months ago. Honestly, I think that. I I really do. But I think they were trying to artificially create that release Dune 2 or make Dune 2 kind of move. That's what they thought they could create artificially. And it didn't happen. All right, next up. Jerry Demert writes, Dude, you guys make my day. Oh, thank you so much, Jerry. Appreciate that, man. I watch you and Rob with the same enthusiasm I had as a kid when I picked up a new issue of Starlog Magazine. I'm sure Rob would love hearing that. I know he loves Starlog Magazine. And listen, Jerry, it's always awesome when somebody just wants to write in and say something fun like that. So thank you so much, Jerry. And thank you for being here and being a part of our community, man. I appreciate that. All right, next up. Casey McNatt writes, Now that I've seen Dune, I can focus on my next movie to see. Plan to see both Last Night in Soho, I'm seeing that tomorrow night, during the weekend, and maybe Antlers. Oh, I gotta watch that real soon. Uh, This weekend, if I can. Uh, Either Tuesday or Wednesday. Do you plan to see any of these movies this weekend? Yeah, well, tomorrow, I'm seeing two movies tomorrow. I'm seeing The French Dispatch tomorrow, and I'm seeing Last Night in Soho. And I'm gonna try to work in Antlers whenever I can. But tomorrow night, if, if everything goes according to plan, and not everything goes according to plan, obviously, but if everything goes according to plan, tomorrow night I'll be seeing French Dispatch and Last Night in Soho, and I will be doing two straight out of the movie theater um, review and reactions. So keep your guys' eyes open for that tomorrow. But yeah, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Antlers. Very, very excited for Antlers at the same time, man. All right, next up. We've got, that was Casey, Uh, we've got an anonymous viewer who writes, Just saw Dune last night, immensely enjoyed it, can't wait for the next film. I've never read it, so perhaps it's just me, but was there an incestuous undertone in that scene where it appears uh, LJ is gawking at PA while changing uh, into still suits? My apologies. I, you know, you're not the first person, I've heard somebody else ask that question. I never picked up, I never thought that when I was watching it. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I personally didn't pick pick that up. What I saw was a mother looking at her son. Because remember, in that scene, he's kind of taking command, right? He's now kind of establishing, I mean, the, their father's, his father's now dead. And he's now the head of the House of Trades. He's now the, the Duke. And... He's like now been kind of laying out what they're going to do, what their instructions are. He's become the leader. And what I caught in that as they were changing to their still suits, as she was looking at her son, I, I thought I saw it as a mother looking at her boy now being a man. And she's seeing that transformation that he is, he's the Duke now. I mean, that's how I saw it. So I don't know, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some subtext there that I didn't pick up on. It's possible. All right, next up. Alan Ling, uh, Ling writes, and sends in like a $20 tip, man. Thank you so much for that, Alan. Alan writes, hey, John, I haven't heard you cover this, so I thought uh, to send in this question slash topic. Disney Plus Day is coming up on November 12th. Is this the same as the Disney Investor Day that they had last year? No. Uh, what perks do you think we can expect aside from what they announced? Well, what Disney Plus Day, so, you know, we had this as a topic the other day. Some people were writing and saying, hey, I think we're going to get a Spider-Man trailer, and I think we're going to get our first look at Doctor Strange. And it's, it's like, well, no, remember, this is a day to talk about and celebrate Disney Plus. 
they're really just going to be talking about Disney Plus. So I think they're going to highlight some shows that are coming. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of announcements. Maybe there will be. Maybe they won't. I think we'll get our first look at some maybe Obi-Wan footage. I think they'll give us our first look at The Book of Boba Fett, uh, which is coming, of course, in, at the end of December. So I think they're going to give us our first look at that. I think they're going to give us our first looks at a lot of things and maybe talk about some of the future plans of Disney+. Plus. But this is very much a Disney Plus event. It's not a Disney event. It's not a Marvel event, although Marvel is part of Disney+. Plus. But it's going to be about Disney+. Plus. So I don't know if there's going to be a lot of announcements. This isn't going to be like the Investor Day thing. I think it'll be more like DC Fandom hopefully a better version of DC fandom, at least a better version than the 2021 version of DC fandom. Cause last year's DC fandom was great, but I think it'll be more like that than it would be like the investors day stuff. That was, that was a very different thing. I think so. But we'll find out November 12th is getting closer, Alan. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in again. And thank you so much for supporting our channel on that level, Alan. All right. Next up, Tom Anderson writes one of two Eternals is now at 65% rotten tomato score and falling. We all know Feige is in love with this movie and wants it to be a signifier of the future of the MCU. I've never heard him say that. I've never heard Feige say that he thinks that this movie is a signifier of where he wants the MCU to go. I'm just saying that. Uh, We also know he plans years ahead. If the audience reaction is as underwhelming as the critic reaction, and by the way, the critic reaction is not all that underwhelming. Like a, a solid majority of the critics like this movie. Anyway, does Marvel have to pivot or trust the prof- process and the plan they've set in motion? I realize 65% is still a good score, but by MCU standards, it's one of the lowest they've had, network TV shows included. It is one of the shows, but no, listen. I... What I, this is what I don't understand. What do you think is going to happen? That every single MCU film is going to be in the high 80s to 90s, and every single MCU you just can't. This is what they're 26th. I want to say 26th. It might be 25th or 24th, but whatever. Let, let's for argument's sake, let's just say 26th. This is their 26th movie. 26th. How many bad ones have they done? Iron Man 2, Thor, um, The Dark World, Thor, The Dark World, and and that's it. And if this one ends up, let's say, and by the way, the critic reviews could go up, they could go down. Let's say for argument's sake, they drop below 50%. I don't think it will, but for argument's sake, let's say it does. Okay, so that'd be like, that would make your record 23 and 3. If, to put this in a sports analogy, if you are on a 10-game winning streak, let's say, and then you lose one, do you go, oh my God, we lost a game. Let's change directions. We have to reevaluate our strategy and our process and It's like, dude, we just lost one game out of the last 11. Like, we just won 10 in a row. I'm pretty sure if this one ends up being a road bump, I'm pretty sure that doesn't make us call our thing. It's it's a whole, to to quote Janet Jackson, we are so, we are such a what have you done for me lately thing, right? 
Like I see this all the time. You can have a filmmaker put out four or five brilliant films, maybe even win one or two Academy Awards, and they put out, then they put out one bad one, and then all of a sudden the audience says, well, I'm not going to look forward to any more of those movies. Look what they just did with their last one. It's like, come on, guys. Look at the big picture. Look at the big picture. Now, look, I said from the beginning, once I saw Eternals, I said, look, I, I don't know how the average MCU fan is going to respond to this movie. You'll remember I said, I, I don't know how the average MCU film fan is going to respond to this movie. I just don't know. I know I thought it was quite bold, and I really enjoyed it. And obviously, the majority of critics enjoyed it. I mean, the audience rating right now, actually, let me see if I can find what the audience rating is on it right now. Well, what I'm not going to look that up because there is no audience rating yet. It hasn't opened up yet. But I'm going to be very interested to see the audience score. What does the critic score end up being? Does it stay fresh? Does it drop down into rotten? All that kind of stuff. But even if it ends up disappointing, you don't then go, oh my God, we need to reevaluate what we're doing. You just, you're, you're, you'd be three, you'd be 23 and three at that point. If you're a team that's 23 and three, you do not reevaluate your game plan everything's going perfectly good. So that would be what I would say to that, Tom. I would say, let's, I'm going to be curious to see how the audience responds to it. Again, I, I don't know how the audience is going to respond. Like when I saw Shang-Chi, I knew audiences are going to love this. It's a very different kind of MCU movie, but it's still definitively an MCU movie. And it was, it's an absolute crowd pleaser. I know the audiences are going to love this, right? I don't know that about Eternals. I know I liked it. I know I liked it quite a bit. But I don't know how the average MCU fan is going to respond to it. And it's going to be very good. But again, even if it doesn't work out, you don't question your plan if your plan gets you off to 23 and 3. It's That means everything's working. Everything's going fine. And guess what? At some point, they're going to hit another bump in the road. You can't just constantly put out absolute grand slam home run after absolute grand slam home run. At some point you're going to hit, you're going to ground out to first or you're going to strike out. And it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. I mean, Steph Curry's like one of the greatest free throw shooters in the history of the game, but he misses once in a while. Does he miss one free throw and everybody go, Oh my gosh, Steph Curry better go back to the drawing book and refigure out how to retool the mechanics of his shooting because he missed one. Well, of course, he's going to miss a couple. So, no, I don't think, Tom, this is going to make them call into question their future plans. I mean, look, if they hit three or four in a row, then end up being disappointing. Yeah, then maybe you got to start looking at things. But as long as they're 23 and three and they're just coming off of Shang-Chi and, you know, they've had tremendous success with WandaVision and, and their stuff there and they got everybody's excited about Spider-Man No, no Way Home. Now nah, they don't need to go back to the drawing board and re, re, re-examine anything at this point. It, do, it doesn't seem like that at all. All right, next up, Mr. Burns writes, one of two. Hey, John, how are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, have you seen the trailer for Dr. Brain? Nope, I haven't seen it, never heard of it. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, you, I'll tell you what, you, this movie from Apple has my interest just because it's from the director of I Saw the Devil and Tale of Two Sisters, which in my opinion were some pretty good movies. Uh, it will come out on Apple TV plus on November 4th, and it will be a six part series that stars Lee Sung Kyun, who was great in Parasite. Everything was great about Parasite. I'm really looking forward to this. Have you seen the trailer and what are your thoughts? Nope. 
no tra- I have no thoughts on because I've never even heard of it. No idea. But Mr. Burns, I appreciate that you put it on my radar because it does sound like something that might be up my alley. So I'll have to go and look that up and check it out myself. So thank you. But as of right now, no thoughts because I've never even heard of it. Never even heard of it at this point. But I will keep my eye open for it. Thank you, Mr. Burns, for putting that on my radar. All right. Next up, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John. I just finished watching the series Twin Peaks created by David Lynch, and wow, is it amazing. While it got very weird at times, I thought everything was amazing. Definitely one of the greatest TV shows of all time. What are your thoughts? Didn't care for it. Now, I say that as somebody who only saw like one, maybe two and a half. I want to say one and a half, but maybe one and a half or two and a half episodes of it. Now, this is a long time ago. I was younger, but... And I just remember thinking, I just thought it was weird. Didn't work for me, so I never watched it. So, yeah, I, I gave it a shot many, many years ago. Did not work for me. Um, and I so I just never did finish it out. I never re- even really got into it. Now, I know some people who think it's one of the most overrated television shows ever made. I know people who think, like you, like it's one of the greatest television shows ever made. Um, but I... I'll be honest with you. I don't have any interest to go back to check it out at this point. There's too much good stuff coming out today. Um, but yeah, I, again, a lot of people love it. Not everybody does. Um, the general consensus is a pretty weird show, but I'm glad you loved it, man. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. All right, next up. Nick Soto writes, which is the superior sci-fi film, Eternals or Dune? Thanks. Well, they're very different movies, so it's I, I hate doing these simple, what's better, you know, vanilla ice cream or whatever ice cream. It's like, well, they're different experiences. Um, but I'll say if, if I was voting for best film of the year right now and the only two contenders were Eternals or Dune and I had to cast a vote, Dune. I There you go, Dune. I really like Eternals a lot, but Dune is a masterpiece of filmmaking, so I'll go Dune. All right. An anonymous viewer writes and tips in like $50 while writing in. Thank you so much, Anonymous, uh, who writes in, Damn it, John, you answered most of my questions about Dune in your Spice Must Flow video. Patience when it comes to movies is clearly not my virtue. Just hope they do three and four back to back to save. But I'm happy to support the channel. God bless and take care. Well, thank you so much for that, man. And listen, honestly, I think, well, okay, let's back up for a second. Where do they go with Dune once they do get two made, like once they complete the Dune book, if they do eventually green green light going into like all the other Dune stuff, I would hope that they would now know it's much more cost efficient now that they know that they have a franchise that they are definitely moving forward with. It's time to green light the shooting them back to back if you have them back to back. Like for all I know, maybe they shoot individual movies moving forward. I don't know. We'd have to see what their plan is. They'd have to see what their plan is. But at some point, man, I think you're right. If you're going to do two now, boom. If Jenny Benny Jesuit works out on HBO Max, and you know you're moving forward in this world, and you know you have a multi-part story to tell next time, have the foresight to shoot it at the same time. I hope they do that this time. All right, thanks for writing that in, man. And again, thank you for your support, and that's a really generous tip. Thanks for that, man. All right, next up, Jonathan writes, well, this is disappointing. 
Eternals is one of the lowest MCU Rotten Tomato scores uh, as of this writing. Guess I got to lower my expectations. What's your take on this? And do you differ with the critics? If so, how? Well, considering that right now a solid majority of the critics like the movie, I don't differ with the critics. Uh, right now, the critics say this is a good movie. You know, 65% to 35%. So I am with the majority of the critics on this. I think this is a very good movie. But... As I said from the first time I saw it, it's a very different movie. And I don't know if people who are looking for a more traditional Marvel movie are going to appreciate it the way I or a lot of the other critics have. So we're going to have to wait and see, man. Gonna have to wait. I'm going to be very curious to see what the audience scores are. Once, once the average audience starts seeing this movie, I'm going to be very interested to see what the audience scores are. All right, next up. Jonathan, Dune. Well, let me put it this way. The story is dense. I think I had a headache just trying to figure out just what the fuck was happening. Space jargon didn't help. Visually stunning. Acting is top-notch. Characters, they're cold. What I mean is that they lack emotion. Almost robotic in nature. Oh, I disagree with that. Uh, This is my first time seeing any adaptation of Dune. Didn't even read the books. As of the movie... As the movie wore on, I was like, this story is long, but definitely needs part two, grade B+. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. I didn't feel that the characters were cold. I mean, a couple of characters are meant to be cold, for sure. But I thought, you remember, Paul Atreides is supposed to be like 15, 16 years old, right? He's a moody, little bit mopey teenager, which is kind of what he's supposed to be. I thought Jessica was fantastic. I got that... did not think that was a cold or robotic. And I didn't think that of Lito Atreides either played by Oscar Isaac. I thought that was great, but Hey, listen, we all have our different experiences with it. So did you. And uh, maybe once you see part two and you caught up a little bit on, maybe you'll have a different experience, but thanks for sharing yours with us, Jonathan. All right. Next up Jay Bling writes, I know we don't take the people's choice awards seriously. No, I it's rubbish. It's stupid. Uh, but the nominees for comedy movie this year include Hitman's wife's bodyguard and thunder force. Um, that made me realize the comedy movie landscape has been severely lacking this year. Let me hold a second. Let me look this up. I didn't even know about, uh, people's choice awards, uh, 2021 nominations. Let me see if I can look up this thing here. Full list, because there's the TV nominations. People's Choice Awards from The Hollywood Reporter, 2021 nominations. Okay, let's see what you got here. So, now look, let me say this. The reason I think all any public voted on awards are complete rubbish and not worth anything, like they're complete garbage and a joke, is because... I don't give any credibility to to an award that was voted on by people who maybe saw seven movies this year. Right? I, I, I don't like any movies, any awards that the people voting on it probably on average saw seven to 12 movies that year uh, is not worth anything that's why a lot of these award like these fan voted awards why twilight won tons of awards they're useless but anyway let's take a look here just for fun what were the people's choice uh nominees and this list came out today maybe we should talk about this on the john campy show tomorrow but best movie of the year black widow come on i mean i like black widow i do 
but movie of the year. Oh my fuck. Coming to America? Fast Nine, the Fast Saga. Doom, Doom, No Time to Die, Shang-Chi. The Tomorrow War. Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Do I, do I need to say anything? I mean, I'm glad there's a couple of legit fun, great movies in there, but coming to America isn't even good. Fast nine is total garbage. Black widow. I enjoy, but that's movie of the year. Um, okay. Comedy movie of 2021 coming to America. Free guy. He's all that. Hitman's wife's bodyguard, jungle cruise, space jam, a new legacy, thunder force, and vacation friends. Oh my God. Um, drama movie of the year, quiet place, part two, Cruella, Dune, fatherhood, Halloween (laughs) in the Heights, uh, old, old, really respect family movie of the year, male movie star of the year, female movie. I don't, Oh my God. That's, Oh dear God, that's Thunder Force. If you if you needed to know just how stupid and pathetic and dumb fan voted awards are, remember this: Thunder Force is nominated for Comedy of the Year, and Fast Nine is nominated. Fast Nine and The Tomorrow War are nominated, and Black Widow and Coming to America are nominated for Movie of the Year. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, so. I really don't have to say anything more after that, do I? Do I? Nope. All right, next up, uh, we've got CM Doug's rights, one of three. Hey, John, and Rob, Aaron, and Kimberly, big fan, been watching since Ash- the Ashley Whalen was on the show. I- Ashley was great. How is she, by the way? I mean, I haven't spoken to Ashley in a long time, but we've, I mean, we, we follow each other on social media. She likes a lot of my things. I like a lot of hers. We've exchanged some notes. And she seems to be doing really good. She seems to be b- being kept very busy lately, which is great for her. Uh, and Chris Carr, am I in the, I, I am in the military. One thing we learn is to treat every weapon as if it's loaded. Anytime, anytime I am handed a weapon, I check it, period. Now I understand Baldwin uh, thought the weapon was safe. Well, because he was told it was safe uh, and he is not a weapons expert, but that's part of the problem. Safety with weapon involved is everybody's responsibility. It should be on the, it should be on the movie set. If there is going to be a weapon on set, anyone handling it, including the actors, should be trained. If untrained, don't touch it. Weapons are not toys, but dangerous tools and should be always treated as such. Listen, but that's why there is supposed to be a process and procedure that goes in. Now, you're in the military. So, yes, you are trained. That's a big phrase right there. Trained. You are trained to do that. Absolutely. Alec Baldwin doesn't know the first thing about any of that stuff. That's why there's processes in place where there's supposed to be prop masters and and, uh, armorers and all this kind of stuff and this whole process. And that's why when the assistant director then takes the weapon and brings it on to stage and yells out, cold gun, cold gun, that means there's a prop on stage. It's totally safe. It's, It's not loaded. Nothing's in it. It's all, it's just prop, totally prop. Then when Alec Baldwin hears that, he has to be able to rely on that information. And 
I mean, I, I, I laugh at a lot of people say, well, he should have inspected the gun. And I, I said on my show, and I know it's not popular to say, but I said on my show, you motherfuckers, 99% of you wouldn't know the first fucking thing about how to inspect a gun. Like you're all saying, oh, he should inspect the gun. You wouldn't know the first thing. I mean, you would obviously, I mean, you would far more than any of the rest of us. You would obviously, but I was like a lot of these other people. It's like, like you stupid, you, you wouldn't know the first thing. If I handed you a gun and said inspect it, you'd probably shoot yourself in the foot. Not CM, everybody else, right? So when you have this protocol in place where by the time an assistant director walks onto set and proclaims cold gun, cold gun, it should be safe. It should be done at that point. Like, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I also feel like like everybody knows I am no Alec Baldwin apologist by any stretch of the imagination. But I also feel like people are trying to, because he's famous, they're trying to put the blame on help on. This wasn't his fault. I think there's probably a lot of responsibility to go around. And maybe there's even a fraction of that that goes to him. But he was not the one at fault. He didn't put a live round into that gun. He didn't go walking off set just and grabbed any gun he saw and then brought it onto set with him completely irresponsibly. He thought procedure was being followed. And an assistant director came on set, yelled, cold gun, cold gun. He was then rehearsing with it, doing a scene where he was supposed to point the gun at the camera because there's that shot in a lot of movies. And unfortunately, inexcusably, there was a live round of ammunition in that gun and it went off at the camera, hit the camera person. She died, went through her lodged in the director's shoulder. I mean, such a tragedy, such a tragedy. And look, I know everybody wants to now rush and assign blame. The first thing we want to do is assign blame. What we should be doing right now is extending our well wishes to the family of the woman who lost her life, her family, her husband, her children, her uh, her parents, her loved ones, all that kind of stuff, and then take a deep breath and let the investigation happen. And then let's wait to see what the investigation reveals. And then, but let, let, we need to pump the brakes on our rush to say, this person's responsible, that person's responsible, here's everybody, uh, and, you know, let's everybody just take a breath. Let's all put down, like, I know everybody wants to be the Wild West and, and create a mob to go, rush the Tuckett's house and pull out Jim Tuckett for robbing the stagecoach before even finding out if he was the one who robbed the stagecoach or not. Just everybody take a breath and let's see what happens. And But I will say this, CM Dugs, it would be great for movies everywhere if they were to have people like you on set. Any movie that's getting made that has a weapon, by the way, they, sh- they should never have guns on sets. They should never have them. And I think we're going to get to a point now where no guns are going to be on sets anymore. I think they're going to follow the example of the TV show, The Rookie, where now they're using what's it called? The airsoft thing that doesn't hold gunpowder or anything like that at all. I think they're getting that. But any movies that still do would be greatly, greatly serviced if they were to all have somebody like you on set to make sure garbage like this doesn't happen. Anyway, thanks for sending in your thoughts, CM. Appreciate that. All right. Anton Riley writes, Gotta ask, John, what are your plans for Halloween? Uh, sad. Uh, and if so, do you have a costume? I just had a Halloween party today at work, and I dressed up as my favorite sitcom character of all time, Steve Urkel. Um, I say sad because 
unfortunately, my Halloween this year is going to be spent driving my wife to the airport. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife is, uh, uh, she works for Apple and she's got a big job at Apple and she works from home, but there's something going on with work up at the big Apple spaceship up there in Cupertino, which is in Northern California, uh, that she needs to go to for a few days. So, and she lead on Halloween. So Sunday night, I'm going to be spending my evening, uh, watching some football in the day and then helping my wife pack and driving her to the airport. And then I will be bacheloring it for uh, three or four days, uh, at home by myself, which always goes the same way. The first 12 hours, I'm like, Ooh, I'm a bachelor. I can do it. I can walk around on my gitch if I want. I can order pizza. I can do whatever I want, right? Then after about 12 hours, I just start to get miserable because Anne's not here. I get very irritable when I'm not around Anne for a period of time. The true story, it's, it's really true. I get irritable. I I get into a pretty bad mood when Anne's not. When I'm when I'm not around Anne for a couple of days, I get very irritable. Um, and you can ask anybody that would work with me. Whenever Anne had to go on trips or work trips... Just avoid John for a couple of days. Because um, I do. I get grumpy when I'm not around Anne. Like, Anne centers me. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna miss her. So, yes, you mentioned Halloween, and I feel sad. But, no, I'm not going to be dressing up in any costumes this year. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, Calling it now, Eternals is going to bomb and end up suffering the same fate as in humans. Well, you're completely wrong about that. Uh, never to be heard from again. You're completely wrong. I can say that wholeheartedly. And here's the thing. Whenever somebody... Pr- proclaim something's going to bomb notice they they're never specific what is your def because whenever somebody says something's going to bomb no matter how much money it makes they say see it bombed well what are you talking about that number is not a bomb if you're gonna if you're gonna say this actually put some backbone into it anonymous don't just say it's gonna bomb no 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 no. put your money where your mouth is what is it gonna make are you saying it's gonna bomb that it's gonna make 50 million dollars are you saying it's going to bomb that it's going to make $20 million? Could it make $140 million opening weekend and you'd still say it bombed? Well, you're going to say, well, it should have made three. No, 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 no. If you want to write in and say that you think it's going to bomb, give us a number. What do you think it's actually going to make? Give us a number. Don't hide behind this little vague term that you get to define later on to suit your narrative. What do you actually think it's going to make? So the next time sack up, have some testicles, actually put your name on there instead of the little cowardly anonymous, although maybe you just accidentally left the line blank, but sack up, have some testicular fortitude and actually put a number on it. Let's see what happens. And maybe you'll be right, maybe you'll be wrong, but at least put a number on it. Don't come out here with this, it's going to bomb. Then then no matter what it does, you can just say, no, no, give us a number, give us a number. All right, Anton Riley writes, So, coming back to my comment on free movies on YouTube, the first Ninja Turtles movie, 1990s on YouTube for free, legally. Lots of movies on YouTube for free uh, if you are someone who can't afford a streaming service. Listen, there's actually a couple of uh, streaming services that are free and ad-supported that have a good library of movies as well. I'm, I'm thinking of a couple right now, but I can't remember the names of them. But no, honestly, there are... Whether you have a Roku or a Google Chromecast or a, an Apple Fire Stick or an Apple TV, whatever, 
or even just on your computer, there are a number of streaming services that are free and ad-supported that will carry a bunch of movies. So yeah, between YouTube and them, there's actually a lot of, there's a lot of variety out there, Anton. All right, thanks for sharing that. Next up, Luke1234 writes, Hey John, so I'm thinking of starting a movie review channel, but I'm unable to see uh, a movie opening weekend and only able to see it on its second weekend. Is my review too late slash worthless now? Also, should I see movies I don't care for only to review them? Well, here's the thing, Luke1234. If you are thinking you're going to be able to make a career out of this, eh. if you're doing it for fun, if you want to start a YouTube review channel for fun, then it doesn't matter when you review a movie. It, it doesn't matter because if you're doing it for the fun of doing it and having some discussion with some fellow online people, then it doesn't matter if it's a week or two late. And no, if you're doing it for fun, don't subject yourself to going to see movies you don't want to see. Like, yeah, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, if you think you're going to do this for a career, I would say don't do it at all. Start it as a hobby and do it for fun and for passion. Now, yes, if you're somebody like me, there's no point in me putting up a review if, I, if I'm putting it up a week late. There's no point at that. But this is my business. This is my career. This is, you know, I've got, you know, 4 million views of my videos a month. I've got quarter of a million subscribers. I have, I don't know, 80 some thousand Twitter. I mean, I've got, this is my business this is what I do. So yeah, if I can't get a review up timely, that's an issue. But if you're doing, if you're starting one up for fun, it's not an issue. And even if you have dreams of it becoming something you do as a career, start off in, in your wheelhouse, start off with what you're comfortable with. So yeah, just review it whenever you review it and review the stuff you want to review and don't review the stuff you don't want to. Listen, I'm just going to be blunt and honest with you. There's a 99.9999 chance you're never going to be able to make a career out of this. That's just me telling you what the actual YouTube numbers are for everybody on YouTube who is able to actually make a career out of doing things on YouTube, there are 5,000 people who can't. Let me rephrase that. Can't isn't the right word. That are unable to. Or don't, or don't get the right amount of luck versus developing the right skills to be able to do it. So don't worry about that stuff. Focus on what you enjoy. And if you focus on what you enjoy, you might find yourself getting better at it. And if you keep getting better at it, you might find at some point you're actually pretty good at this. And if you are pretty good at this, some other people might start recognizing you're pretty good at this. You might start developing a little bit of a fan base and you might be able to go from there. But for now, look at it as a hobby and as a hobby, only do the things you enjoy. So that's what I would encourage you to. That's what I would encourage you to, Luke. All right, next up, uh, Wesley Cunningham writes, uh, just got out of Lamb. I, I'm not, see, it's just what I was talking about with Luke. I'm not even going to bother seeing Lamb. That trailer looks so freaking like WTF times 10. I have no desire to see it. Anyway, I just got out of Lamb. Not a clue what just happened in there or why, but I'm pretty pissed it took two hours. What the F? Dude, listen, Wesley, you're a braver man than I. I, I could, I'm not going to be able to bring myself to go and watch that. I just watched that trailer. I'm like, nope. You know what I always say, right? The trailer's job is to take your excitement level and bump it up a couple of notches. That trailer took, 
you know, I heard about Lamps. Oh, okay, cool. The cast looks good. Good filmmaker. I saw the trailer. It's like, boom, it buried any, any desire of me to see the movie. So I have no interest in watching it. So thank you, Wesley, for taking the bullet for all of us. All right. Uh, next up, Ryan Loner writes, I just saw another entry in the amazing movie that I can never watch again. Club the film that introduced us to Al Pacino panic and needle park. I saw, I totally forgot about that movie. One of the most brutally real portrayals of drug addiction ever. Okay. So that movie is a little bit before my time. Like that movie came out before I was born, but I remember watching it. I think not long before I moved to LA and yeah, it's, it's really disturbing. I mean, it's so, dis- I don't even know if I like that. It's basically, so like there's this couple, I can't remember what the name of the couple is, but anyway, they, they constantly go, it, it takes place in New York city and they're constantly going to the park to shoot up. That's where it's, it's rough. Now I only saw it the once and it was a long time ago, but yeah, that one, that one was rough. That was, I don't think I can watch that again. All right. So I'm with you on that one, Ryan. All right. Next up. Jonathan writes, on the heels of Eternals having a low but still fresh score on Rotten Tomatoes compared to past and more recent MCU films, should the movie dip to rotten? Does this spell the beginning of the end for the MCU? Oh, God, Jonathan. The end of the MCU or is it still too soon to call anything? Like, Look, like I just said, even if this ends up being bad, and I think this is a very good movie, and the majority of people who have seen it think it's a very good movie. Not everybody less than normal for an MCU film. Absolutely. But even if it drops into rotten rating and all that, and let's say it turns out to be an L, there's still 23 and three. Does this spell, does one bump in the road spell the beginning of the end for the MCU? Look, did Iron Man two spell the beginning of the end for the MCU? No. Did Thor, the dark world, spell the beginning of the end for the MCU. No. We're just coming off a magnificent win with Shang-Chi. And even in, and I don't consider Eternals a road bump at all. And again, we got to wait to see what the audience scores on it are. But right now, the critic scores are solid. Not as fantastic or great as an MCU film is traditionally ranks in at. But again, I'm going to be very curious to see the audience scores. And I don't know what they're going to be, but I'm interested to see it. But even if this one ends up being an L, which I don't think it will, but even if it does, no, the third third L out of 26 does not spell the beginning of the end. Because don't forget this. Soon after this, we've got Spider-Man No Way Homecoming, which while technically a Sony movie, it is made by Marvel and it's in the MCU. And we got Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coming. And like, so no, that is, again, our culture of what have you done for me lately? It's like, yeah, you've done all this, but five minutes ago you did that. That means you're no good at this anymore. It's like, ah, oh, guys, come on, come on. Give me anyway. Uh, next up, Ben Rayner writes, uh, Hey John, happy Wednesday. Thank you so much, Ben. I just watched the best B movie I've seen. Eight legged freaks. Oh, that's got, um, Courtney Cox's. Why am I forgetting Courtney Cox's? ex-husband's name and he was the wcw world champion david david arquette david arquette was in eight legged freaks uh this movie is amazing (laughs) 
Instant top 15 for me. Spider punches out a dude. Love it. 4.95 out of 5. What are your thoughts? Curious to hear. Thanks for bringing on the filthy. I ain't going to lie to you, Ben. I thought that movie's terrible. And not even so bad it's good terrible. Yeah, I just, I'm not a fan of Eight-Legged Freaks. But hey, listen, dude. I could totally see how somebody would watch that and have a lot of fun with it. So if you enjoyed it, that is awesome. All right. Uh, next up, Bernie Palafox writes, Good day, John. A good day to you, Bernie. Uh, love you and Rob. I'm sure he'd love to hear that. Question. I can't help but get the feeling that Marvel's Eternals is going to be a Man of Steel situation. Man of Steel was ahead of its time. What do you think? Rotten Tomato score went down. Yeah, I, again, the, there's obviously a massive difference between Man of Steel and Eternals. Man of Steel was the first entry into the DCU. The Eternals is coming in as film number like 26, 25, 24, 26, 27, something like that. So it's it's also the biggest challenge for it, I believe, is the fact that it is the first MCU film that is really not an MCU film. It's very, very different. Like all the Marvel films are different from each other. But at the end of the day, they all share a Marvel DNA. One can be a completely different movie than the one before it, but you still, out of both of them, you walked out feeling and knowing you just watched an MCU film. You don't get that sense with the Eternals. And that's neither a good nor a bad thing. It's just, it's a, it's a big elephant in the room though. And I just don't know how a lot of people are going to respond to that and, and how it is. So, I don't know. I don't know that Eternals is ahead of its time. Like, I think Man of Steel was a little bit ahead of its time. But it's so fundamentally different from what the MCU has been that, I don't know, we're just, just going to have to wait to see how people react to it. Again, this, the critic scores are still positive, but it's going to be really interesting to see what the audience scores are because, again, I've said from day one that I came out of it was I don't know how the average MCU fan is going to respond to this. So we'll have to wait and see. All right, last question of the day, guys, comes to us from Dangerous D, who writes, Hey, John, the trailer for Cowboy Bebop came, and I'm psyched. I must confess, I wasn't a fan of the anime, but this live-action trailer looks good. I have a question. Was there a movie-slash-TV show that you prefer the live-action rather than the animated, or vice versa? Huh. I'm trying to remember how many live-action things I saw. Well, okay, so... G.I. Joe preferred the animation. Transformers preferred the animation, even though I really do like the first Transformers movie and I love the Bumblebee movie. Um, still preferred the animation. I'm trying to think what else would fall under that category. Beauty and the Beast, I preferred the animation. Um, Lion King preferred the 2D animation. Although I really loved the... CGI Lion King that they put out last year. Um, Aladdin, I prefer the animated version, although I loved the Will Smith Aladdin. I really love that movie. I think it is great, but I still prefer the original Robin Williams one. So I don't know. It's a good question. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but that's a really, really good question, Dangerous. Um, All right, you know what? I said that would be the last one. Let's do one more. One more, then we'll wrap it up. Uh, This one comes to us from Anonymous, who... Who writes, uh, you should dress up in a costume for Friday's show for Halloween. If you do, I have two recommendations. Harley Quinn from the Suicide Squad or Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, Doolittle. Well, I already dressed up as Harley Quinn uh, one year. Everybody remembers that. I already did my Harley Quinn thing. 
Um, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to dress up as anything. Like if, if we, if I was in studio still, we had a bunch of people, maybe a bunch of people dressed up. I'm probably not going to dress up or anything like that. So probably won't. And plus again, when I think of Halloween this year, I think of sadness because Anne is leaving on Halloween. It's I granted it's only for like three or four days, but still makes me sad. So yeah, there's that. All right, guys, listen, there's still more to come from tribal chief, uh, Mike Brown, and a few others. Do not worry, guys. We're going to pick right up where we left off on tomorrow's The John Campus Show on Thursday's installment of The John Campus Show. Now, look, I was going to do the show all solo this week, but then, you know, I was talking to Aaron. I realized, Aaron, we've had to miss a couple of weeks with Aaron, and Aaron's going to be going out of town soon. So I figured, you know what? Okay, let's do one with Aaron. I was going to do all solo this week, but because we've missed out on Aaron a number of times and we're going to miss out on her in the coming weeks once or twice, I thought we'll just do it. So Aaron Cummings will be on the show tomorrow and we'll pick right up where we left off with that. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the companion video. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here and being a part of this. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in these comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved here at the John Campy Show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, guys, don't forget to join us tomorrow for the show. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.